the Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Exactly. Same here. Words out of my mouth. Nobody's giving up around here, and don't you forget it, ever. You're Rex. You're King. You're Duke. You're Boss. I'm Chief. We're a pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs. Atari Kobayashi, you heroically hijacked a junior turboprop XJ750 and flew it to the island because of your dog. Darn it. I've got a crush on you. We get the idea. You're looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know him? No, no. I've lost all of my pride. Spots, if he's alive, may very well be living even at this moment as a captive prisoner. Somebody is up to something. Will you help him? The little pilot. Why should I? Because he's a 12-year-old boy. Dogs love those. We'll find him. Wherever he is, if he's alive, we'll find your dog. It's gonna be a fight! I wish somebody spoke his language. the north, a long rickety causeway over a noxious sludge marsh leading to a radioactive landfill polluted by toxic chemical garbage. That's our destination. Great. Got it. Get ready to jump. Welcome to Film Punch. And today uh, we are going to be talking about uh, Wes Anderson's brand new film, 2018, Isle of Dogs, which is a stop-motion animated film from the director, his second one, about a group of dogs in Japan, in a fictionalized Japan who get sent to an island of trash after uh, they get a disease that scares the populace and there's some conspiracies involving uh, local politicians covering things up, ties to Yakuza, ties to corporations, on and on and on. But the main focus of the film is about um, Atari, who is a young boy who just simply wants to recover his dog on this trash island, and we follow him along with a bunch of other dogs trying to retrieve uh, his his old dog Spot. So, yeah, does anybody have any first impressions? Very cute movie, <laughs> emotional. <laughs> yeah, it. Um, the other animated one he did was Fantastic Mr. Fox, and it was similarly animated, but I think this one had more animation in it, and I actually enjoyed it more. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox was based on a Roald Dahl book, I yeah, believe. Yeah. Um, you know, kid's book, kid's story. But, 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 but you know, Dave, it was kind of fantastic. 
<laughs> and had a fox too. Well, yeah, but but if you watch the movie, he keeps talking about how you know fantastic it's kind of fantastic. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, this is true. Um, yeah, so it was a little different. It still had Bill Murray in it, <laughs> but other than that, I think the cast was very different. Yeah, it, it actually is kind of interesting because I think um, Wes Anderson normally has like a, a roving cast, you know what I mean? Kind of the same cast. And this one had quite a bit of a different cast to it. That's true. Yeah, um, again, it had Bill Murray in it, but he's had, oh, um, uh, Jason Schwartz. Jason Schwartzman? Yeah. yeah. That's frequently in some of them. He wasn't in this one. Yeah. He's been in, I forget which other ones he's Well, been he was in Rushmore. He was the main guy in Rushmore. Yeah. So. But he's been in quite a few others. He kind of got him a start, didn't he? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, you know, but literally like every film you'll see. Well, I mean, a, a big a big guy that he used to always have in his movies was uh, uh, Owen Wilson. Yes. And it, there's a crazy backstory on that. <laughs> Owen Wilson actually went to the same, like... Uh, they both come from kind of bougie backgrounds. It's pretty obvious when you watch Wes Anderson films that, that he does. But he went to. They both went to the same like elite high school in Texas together. So they were like best buds in Texas. Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson. So a lot of their early movies were actually like co-written by Wes An- by Owen Wilson, and he'd star in them. Wow! Just wow! <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> But anyways, yeah, more more impressions because I know we we didn't get you know if anybody has anything else to add on the impressions thing. What did you think of the movie? Did you like it? Yes, <laughs> I stumbled upon. I didn't know that this movie was coming out before maybe a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was even as recently as last week. But uh, somehow I saw something about it online when I was thinking, oh, it's been a while since I've gone to cinema to see on the big screen a movie. Let's see what's out. And uh, then, as you search further along, it's amazing what you can find on the internet. There are, of course, the sneak previews, but there are even clips from the movie that I got around to watching because I was thinking, wow, a new stop-motion feature. This is incredible. And uh, yeah. then there was only a little apprehension that, oof, maybe I've seen too much of it, <laughs> and it's going to kind of spoil the viewing experience once I get to see the whole thing. I don't, yeah, I don't think the trailers did that. No, or I mean, <laughs> seeing the clips that sort of right. gave away some funny moments, oh, but there was okay. still a lot more to it than yeah. what was already out there. Yeah. And uh, all around, it was very worthwhile to go and see um, on the big screen. Then, once it comes out on the small screen, definitely going to watch it a couple more times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. That's what I do. I only see the trailer, and mm. then there's like another. You know how like even like even Netflix, there's like trailer one, two, mm-hmm. three, la la. I only see the one, the main one, and then I finish the whole season or whatever the movie, and I catch on the other clips. Hmm. So it's maybe better for you to do that after you see the movie. Well, <laughs> you know, so you, don't you know, too soon you know, you know, the yeah, this is a because it connects to the story, like you know, all that clips that you find it online. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, okay, now I understand what it's for. <laughs> but if you see that before the movies, like mm-hmm. old things. Like why? Why you know you try to like you know you try to imagine like mm. 
try to clip your all the puzzles in your brain or imagination. Yeah, so that's kind of bothers me as a personal watching a movie. I cannot focus, mm. so I learned myself. I'll do that in the after, and that works better for me now. So I learned to myself. Mm. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so it's interesting you guys talk about this because, like, um, I watched a lot of those clips because I was really looking forward to this. I'm, I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson. I'm a big fan of. Uh, I'm also a big fan of animation too, so this is even more yeah, and something more my thing. So, oh yeah, like I have respect for anybody that does stop motion, even if it's like a relatively mediocre stop motion film, and if it still looks good, I still have like intense, you know what I mean, respect for them because it is hard to it do. It's hard job. I have a cousin who's an artist, so like I know how hard this comes out. Yeah, one of it's a lot of efforts. One of my better friends studied animation, and he took a stop-motion class, and that was the only class where he didn't get an A, because, um, like, like he baked, you know what I mean, he, he baked a clay model, and then part of it broke off, and he was trying desperately in the limited amount of time that he had, and these stop-motion films take years to produce, because literally what they'll do is they'll just take a model of something, they have to build the models of everything. Have to take a model and then move it one little piece, take a picture. Move it one little piece, take a picture. It's just intense. It is a lot of work, and I think related to that to the movie, I think that's another thing in a movie we see as a chapter, because you know that cut scene. They don't know how to put it together. It was actually good thing they cut it and making it a chapter. So that was very impressive. I mean, like as like Korean animation and Japanese animation. They do that a lot, but I never seen it as like, a, you know, like American I, version. I, like I, I think some of that. I think a lot of that was Wes Anderson, though. Yeah, because Wes Anderson really loves, and this is I think why he likes animation so much, why he likes stop motion so much. Is he loves constrained, highly constructed worlds. Steve's, you know, Rushmore. Rushmore takes place entirely uh, in a school. Steve Zissou takes place entirely on a boat. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel is entirely the Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> um, I was actually surprised I didn't see... That. And maybe there was a little bit of this, if one of you guys... I don't remember seeing the famous shot that he always loves to do, where he cuts away. You see, like, you know, the sort of dollhouse shot of all the different sets that he has. Mm-hmm. And then he pans the camera across, and you see all there the different... Th- there probably was a little bit. It, it isn't as noticeable, because yeah. it is stop motion, and literally the entire film is like a dollhouse. But it was actually, yeah, end of the movie. Um, oh, yeah. It was maybe... The yeah. Um, the weather change, when it, it's like the dollhouse, and then they open the screen, right. and have made the weather change. It was the screen, whatever glasses mm. they subtitled it. And then all the all the like all the flower was all gone. Yeah. I think that was his big shot and I think that's he tried to like symbolize. Yeah. Cool. I wonder how much it was a coincidence or how much they planned for this film to come out during Cherry Blossom season. <laughs> I think that, that was that was intentional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did what? They they released it during tra- and you're right it's during cherry blossom season in Japan. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Like in March, yeah. right? And here too in DC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, they yep. have cherry blossom uh, festival in DC every year in March. Mm-hmm. March. Huh. So we me and my dad uh, when he was alive he, we tried to make trip to DC 
to go celebrate the fest, but yeah, if that falls in my spring break with my school here, like couple yeah. that, yeah, so it's like, so so recognize just recognize piece. them, yes, <laughs> yes, and if you know the culture, you probably understand better. So yeah. I think I understand a little better, like catch up everything fast because I already know all those like characters. Right, right, right. So, and correct me if there's anything that, that I'm off on, but I, I know Korea is quite a bit different than Japan Very itself. Different, but, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> correct me if I'm different wrong on any of this, but <laughs> completely different in a lot yes. of regards. But um, the uh, uh, so basically, cherry blossom season happens right around this time of year. This is uh, early. This is uh, late March into April. It lasts until mid-May, and literally, what they'll do is uh, from the time it begins in March, they'll go from the southernmost tip of Japan, which is kind of tropical, and then they'll actually have maps that'll tell you here's the forecast of when the cherry blossoms will start to fall, and it's a very big deal for the Japanese because it represents like how times change and how things grow. So the falling of the cherry blossoms represents sort of the temporary, um, represents sort of the, the uh, transient nature of life. So ultimately life is temporary, things are kind of sad because life is temporary, and the cherry blossoms well, fall. Yeah, using your word, um, well, life goes on. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah, I think is. that's a good way of what putting it. Blossom like fast in Korea also like is is very like warmer than here. Not very like they have four seasons too, but depends on what area you're like here. Um, they they celebrate is because the spring is coming. So spring is the first season they celebrate as like a new everything. Right. So. Like you know how like the flower grows, all the blossoms coming. So like yeah, that's the beginning of your life. And like the winter is like you know that's like New Year's is coming. You know the end of the calendar. So that's ending your whole year. So they celebrate also very big in last day of the month of the season also. And we also do um, celebrate lunar calendar. So mm -hmm. according to that, uh, spring is actually <coughs> falling on uh, sometime between January and in February in a lunar hmm. calendar. So, so at the that was at the end of um, the movie where they had right. the cherry blossoms. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Falling all at once. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Life all goes at once. On, yeah. And then the new generation took over, like all this, like kids. Right. 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 Because, exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I uh, Wes Anderson did his research. He That's all I could say. And he worked with a lot of Japanese people. Oh so, yeah, that yeah. too. So yeah. he probably did research from their cultures. Mm -hmm. Have to. Yeah. Yeah, and what I mean, he also um, one cultural detail that I know that I was impressed by uh, was uh, Kobayashi, the, this corrupt politician, uh, had a tattoo on his back. And in Japanese culture, if you have a big tattoo on your back, that means you have ties to the Yakuza. <laughs> and immediately, I knew he had ties to the Yakuza. And then about a minute later, you see this like folder full of different things. And yeah. one of the list of like corrupt Yakuza. things that he had ties yeah. to was the Yakuza. And I was laughing <laughs> yeah. because I already knew he had ties to the Yakuza because there's a giant tattoo on his back. And in fact, it was really funny. Like, it, it, I'm glad that he had it on his back because in Japanese, if, if this was accurate to the actual culture, in Japanese culture, if you had a tattoo anywhere that was visible, he would he would be completely shunned from just about everywhere because they would be worried that he'd be yakuza. 
So, like, he wouldn't be allowed to go to, like, public baths, for instance, with a tattoo. You, like, people, Americans go there. Wow. And the, the, how I learned about it is they actually traveled there, and yeah. Americans who go there with tattoos will cover them over. Because like they won't allow anybody with tattoos. Because even though even though the context doesn't make any sense, they just straight 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 line believe that tattoos are associated with the yakuza and these these awful people. So Mayor Kobayashi kept his ties to the underworld under wraps. Right, exactly. But there is there is an interesting thing. I think so. Wes Anderson is a huge animation fan, and in my opinion. Animation, the world. I have very strong opinions on this. The world of animation does not have many many good critics. Oh. And um, Wes Anderson, when he released his top list of animated films, it was some of the best animated films I'd ever seen. I'd like to see that. You know list. what I mean? Like it's a great list. Like every film on that list is something really good. Like Only Yesterday is like his number one film oh, yeah. on his an- animated fil- film list. But nonetheless, it's a very unconventional list. Or no, End of Evangelion was his number one film. And only yesterday was about number six. Evangelion? End of Evangelion. The, the, the movie version of it that's all crazy and bonkers. Yes. But everything else on that list was interesting, okay. at least. Akira. You know what I mean? Akira, Akira was on that list. With this movie made references to Akira. Oh. But, um, the, but I have very strong opinions on this uh, in that uh, I'm pretty sure Wes Anderson saw a film called Plague Dogs, which I think is criminally underappreciated. Um, so... It's a it's a 1980s American produced film. Though the studio started in England and then it moved over here, and it was the same guys that produced Watership Down. And the film was about two jo- two dogs who were undergoing scientific experiments, and they were escaping and trying to find freedom. And it's ultimately a tragic film. It's a really yeah, it's completely yeah, animated. It's, it's American film. animated. Yeah, it's not really a. It, not really a kid's film. It kind of like died off and yeah. no one's seen it because it was kind of... It's, it's, it's really dark, yeah. The same people who did Watership did Watership And it's down. darker than Watership Down. <laughs> yeah. Much darker than Watership really Down. But but I, I felt like he handled it kind of similar to how that film handled it, where um, the reason why the language was off was to put your focus on the dogs. Mm-hmm. So in, Watersh- in uh, Plague Dogs, for instance... All the people talk like they're over on the other side of the room, mm-hmm. and then the dogs speak very clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, and I'm almost positive, just based upon the kinds of animation Wes Anderson watches, that he may have seen this film. I would imagine. And uh, I have a feeling he was kind of thinking of that as a technique, but wanted to add his own spin to it when sure. he did it that way. So. This is kind of my opinion. I, but I would be surprised uh, if, he, if he has watched it in a similar with it. The dogs who were in that the testing center, that may have been the uh, like background sort of where he got that idea. Right. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. And mm-hmm. sort of the desolate setting and you're following dogs, some of whom have been maimed and discarded by society while the humans are just yeah. totally clueless. But why do they just focus on the dog if, like, they do have, uh, like, cats there, too? Mm. So I kind of, like, didn't like the fact they only put dog in the focus. And then later on, the cat become, like, the enemy one. <laughs> like, yeah. they're all animals who don't talk. I, <laughs> I, I, talk. Actually, I actually thought that scene towards the end was kind of funny where the cats were scattering yeah, afterwards. Yeah, that was very... That was very not a good choice. Like that made me kind of uncomfortable. 
adorable watching in the end. Mm. That kind of kills it. Yeah. So, so, so as an as a animal lover, no, I don't yeah. have any pet at home. Yeah, I'm but totally yeah. with you. So it I was kind of off. I'm like, what is the point I, of I, this I, movie then? Now we have all dogs. Right, right, right exactly. And then I, the cats are sending to the jail. Right. So I'm like, the point of this, like I said, I like to like see all those like storyline. I mean, I get the storyline, but the end, the conclusion wasn't really good conclusion. So well, I, I mean, I mean, I I don't like the anti-cat bias either. I'll just put that <laughs> on the table. I mean, both we both Dave and cats. I grew up with cats, <laughs> but um, but I think in the context of the film, it was really funny <laughs> in that the cats were actually scheming in the background all along. <laughs> That's the reason why they scatter. They're underneath and they scatter. They're scheming in the background. They're unseen forces that are ultimately. You know what I mean? Pulling the strings on this whole, this whole plan to get rid of dogs. I, I that's what I got out of it. I thought that was okay. hilarious. In Japan, um, cat symbolizes as a luck. Mm-hmm. That's how the Hello Kitty. Yeah, I know the little. Yes. The little cat <laughs> so with they the actually, yeah, they the Nako, whatever they call it. Some of the some of the religion that I know they obey a cats too. You know, it's a god. Right. And like we said in early, I will if. I will understand those people who's very like uncomfortable watching that have not subtitled in Japanese and have put in the cat in that like whole anime situation from the human and the character. I'm like I'm not Japanese, but I kind of I I will kind of see that I kind of like I I could see that where that come from, like as a culture their their own culture where yeah. their heritage from. But but again, I, I I think we probably need to talk to somebody who's like from their culture to really get to really get an opinion. Though though that that becomes very complicated in its own right. Like yeah. uh, when there was an adaptation. Well, as a, um, as American Asian like Korean like I like the fact they put all the cats in that like in anime situation in that yeah so. Yeah, but uh, there is kind of a weird uh, kind of multi subtext to this like. Um, so like uh, uh, like when Ghost in the Shell was made, there were there's a lot of issues with that movie. <laughs> but when they interview, uh, you actually have videos on YouTube where people are interviewing uh, Japanese people in Japan about Scarlett Johansson oh, playing a Japanese, yeah, yeah. yeah, playing a Japanese woman, and they're they're like, oh well, I guess that isn't that isn't yeah okay that's cool. She's a cool Hollywood actress, and then they talk about why it's problematic with them, and they're like. Oh yeah, I never thought of it that way before. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> so, from different culture and right, that's what it is. Different right, heritage. and different. Well, I mean, even difference between people in America how they interpret this kind of thing versus how people like in their home country yeah, interpret this kind of thing. Overall, but, I'll take the back. Not as like American, Asian, Korean. As just a human being watching this movie, in the end, it wasn't a good choice. Like, I didn't get the principle of this movie. In the end, the principle of this movie was gone. <laughs> like, okay, now you have to put the cat in the side. Yeah, the principle movie was I thought it was animal and focus on the dog, but now why the cat have to be away like from the human? <laughs> so yeah, I didn't really. But again, impression of this movie is cute and emotional. So I can't say I liked it. I liked it. The pictures and uh, whatever pictures and the story, but I couldn't agree with the principle of this movie. In the end, but the visuals, <laughs> the soundtrack, those are your pictures. Right. Yes, those that's 
I heard you guys right as the end credits were rolling. I, I couldn't help overhearing you were talking yeah. about how the soundtrack had a lot of 1960s feel to it. There yeah. Like, the, what, like, like 60s, 1960s. tokusatsu movies like yeah. Godzilla. <laughs> or, 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 even, or even like some Kira Kurosawa films yeah. had that kind of yeah. Yeah. you know. They play a lot of uh, Japanese like drum instruments yeah. in the soundtrack. So I think. Yeah. And I don't know if any of you guys have seen a Japanese movie where it begins with Taiko drummers and you see the credits like I've seen dramatically. Ends in that, but yeah, what I don't movie know if was that? That was a Japanese production. It was actually about the uh, what happened historically in Nanking, and there's a very powerful ending scene where hmm. the the conquering forces are are doing a procession through the streets of Nanking after they've really subdued the populace. Yeah. And, uh, I yeah. doubt that was a Japanese film. <laughs> no, perhaps not. But um, the, that's what first comes to mind when hmm. I think of Taiko as being, there's a scene that really sticks out and it makes, it makes yeah. it real impressive. And I, and I mean, I, I thought I saw references to like uh, Ozu films where mm -hmm. they showed the, the whole family gathered around the TV. But again, I, that I need to actually like research some yeah. of these where I was like, I wonder if he's referencing all these things. The, the only reference I picked up was in the bar where Yoko Ono-san is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> is that and that is actually Yoko yeah, Ono. Yeah, that was actually Amazing. Yoko Ono. Yeah, Yoko Ono as Yoko Ono-san. Um, <laughs> But in in, in okay. that in that in that bar in that bar they were playing this like sixties era Japanese song hmm. and it's the same song they use like in Akira. Hmm. Like it, you see it in that. Is she like eighties? Yeah. yeah. She has a very youthful voice though, so I guess she's yeah. Like yeah. Characters yeah. Uh, yeah. It was it was oh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the youngest, like actually in age, the youngest voice actor in this production was um, the one who was Atari. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's his first film. And hmm. um, in order to get that, uh, to voice that character, he was part of a, like an open casting call. Hmm. Uh, he, he seemed to do a really good job, though. I mean, despite if if plenty of the audience doesn't understand anything that he's saying, um, he put the emotion into what his minds were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A twelve-year-old yeah. boy who. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Wes Anderson seems <laughs> seems to like using twelve-year-old boys as leads. <laughs> Because uh, if you remember, uh, what was the one that he did about the Boy Scouts? Um, oh, um, Moonlight Kingdom. Yeah, Moonlight, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah. Like, the boy he got for that was amazing. Yeah. Like, he was awesome. Like, he was both awkward but sort of suave at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and any of you haven't I think, seen Moonrise Kingdom, not yet. Yeah. No. it's really good. And, yeah, if you kind of like the sort of, like, goofy kids adventure aspect of this movie, mm -hmm. you'll really like a, a Moonrise Kingdom as well because I think it was kind of the same... It might even be on sort of Netflix. Sort of yeah. I can't remember for sure. Hmm. I think it is on my, yeah. um, in Netflix because it's added in my um, <laughs> list. Recommended. Yeah, yeah. yeah recommended, and, and but I haven't yet the chance to watch it. Moonrise Kingdom, he actually dedicated to his old Scoutmaster because he was in the Scouts. Oh. And I grew up in the Scouts myself. And... Um, like he just captured the feeling of being a twelve-year-old in the Scouts, where you're sort of taking it seriously, but ultimately, from an adult's perspective, the whole thing's ridiculous. Um, it's just a really great film. I can't recommend it enough. 
Uh, it's probably my second favorite uh, Wes Anderson film after uh, Darjeeling Limited. So go check it out. We also have a podcast on Darjeeling Limited. That I host. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so so what, how, how many of you guys have seen other Wes Anderson films? What other Wes Anderson films have you seen? Because he has a very distinct style. Yeah. yeah again, I, I think I've seen all the ones you have. Have you seen Bottle Rocket? I think I might have. Okay. Maybe. Not I'm sure. pretty sure you've seen all the other ones. I'm not sure about Bottle Rocket. I may not though. have seen Bottle Rocket. I'm not 100% certain. I don't really remember because I don't really follow the characters. Just like I yeah. said at the beginning. Like, but if you tell me what's the story about, because I'm like cross every different, like I watch like Japanese yeah. movies, Korean movies, yeah. sometimes Chinese movies. Mm-hmm. Makeup movies, British movies, like yeah, yeah. So like, I can't follow like all these like names, but if you so, just mentioned the story, then yeah, like uh, Life Aquatic, Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I like that one best. Yeah, Pesto Hotel. I think I saw that. Yep. And uh, Darjeeling Limited, uh, Rock, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore. I think that's about everything he's done. Walking yeah. Home? seen Rushmore. almost everything he's done and how many of his films did you get the impression that he was making a current events commentary that it sort of in some way reflected on what's happening in the I world I think right the now. Royal Tenenbaums definitely yeah. well, maybe maybe Royal Tenenbaums but definitely this film I felt there was some commentary yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and even though this film was set in fantasy Wes Anderson Japan which I think sort of excuses some of the problematic aspects of it is that it's such a Fantasized, oh. weird, morphed Wes Anderson yeah. version of Japan. Japan, and not really Japan. Sure. Like even the One name of, of the city isn't real. Yeah, right, right. But um, like this film was all about like uh, the other and uh, immigration and yes. deportation yes. and possibly Guantanamo Bay. Yes, I picked uh, up on a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I felt like this was the goofy kids' adventure, but ultimately the main points he was trying to make were about yeah. some of the policy choices they were, we made. They were subtle, but they were there. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought it was actually really cleverly done, because it was a cute, yeah. fun kids' movie. It, was, it didn't feel like it was something that was beating you over the head. Yeah. yeah. So it was easy to watch it. And related to that, um, you know, the girl got deported. To be protested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she protests like a white like, girl is yeah. there. Right. Yeah, so yeah. they kind of relate to what you said. I kind of see that too. But I wasn't like, maybe, yes, but then now we talk about it. Yeah, they could be related to his yep. moment he wants to put yep. in the storyline as using her as a point. Because I didn't like the fact he put the white girl in there. It looks like from the beginning you, s- you guys said, will be better to put white guys as a hero. Right. Yeah, but right. she was the one that I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, some some someone have to be Caucasian to be in a hero. And that's her. Yeah. But now I could say I'm thinking it could be twisted, maybe you're saying they're talking about deportation and all of that as a foreigners. Yeah, that could be related to that. So yeah. it could be it could be have two characters from her. She could be the one like the Caucasian hero. And then the other character, if your interpreter, um, as what you guys are talking, yeah, it could be related to the issues of uh, 
deportations and all the right immigrations issues. Right. So, so, so and I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, Anderson's definitely walking a very fine line with that character. I kind of mm. feel, um, you know, I I'm pretty sure a lot of people will be a little, uh, you know, <laughs> about that. I I yeah. get it. I get it. Um, but you know, I although I ultimately do feel that the real hero is the dog, is uh, Chief, and uh, Atari, and I think they're both handled very well, and she just provides support. She's like assisting with narration. She makes the storyline. She provides a perspective that's accessible for the audience because they're not reading subtitles. You know, she's right. she's giving commentary and all that. But I also really liked the translator. The girl. Yeah, the, the, the girl in the booth, yeah. Yeah, voice, voiced by Frances McDormand. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I thought it was really cool because it, it had that weird, like, 60s aesthetic to it oh. that Anderson loves. Yeah. You know, they were in this, like, manual booth, you know what I mean? And she was providing commentary. Like, the whole way this film was presented was really unusual. I've never seen a film. They're making it feel like you're watching a foreign movie, but people are interpreting it for you. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of that? I mean, oh, I love it because I'm internationally like travels. Um, sometimes I go to those like opera mm. has a, a interpreter screens and mm-hmm. going on. I'm so into it, but I have this one coworker. We were watching this um, movie. I worked with a kid. Uh, we had a movie night, a movie date, a wonder. That's like related to the kids' movie, and actually, there's a subtitle on it, and she's just the old lady. She don't know how to work the computer, and she's like, "Kim, there's like subtitle. I hate reading it." I'm like, "Excuse me." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she wants to all the caption off. Like, I don't get bothered because I grow up with like multi language. So yeah, yeah. Well, there was also some a weird Japanese-ish. Uh, quality to the fact that we were being given interpreters to describe the film because traditionally with uh, silent films, and I don't know if this was intentional, in Japan they'd have a guy up on screen providing narration for the film. He was called a manzai. And um, I'm kind of wondering if Anderson was thinking of that in a weird sense by having characters speak what you were saying. I'm sorry. No, that would be very cool. I mean, as, a, as an influence that's yeah. Drawing from. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. That yeah. the, the audience is not left to absorb everything firsthand, but they actually have an intermediary who will say, yeah, put exactly. things in context or, or give a little extra depth to mm-hmm. what you're supposed to understand from what you're seeing. Nice. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. And actually, like silent films, it took longer for Japan to get away from silent films. Uh, <laughs> Because the Monzai did that, so mm-hmm. yeah. So, anyways, uh, final impressions. Uh, what did everybody uh, think of this movie? How would they rate it? Uh, you know, uh, would they recommend it to people? Uh, what What are some closing thoughts? So. Uh, let's see. <laughs> well, it it lived up to and surpassed my expectations after seeing the previews and reading the reviews and tracking down some clips. Um, I can't wait for them to release all of the making of, uh, because um, as per the material that was out there before even seeing the movie, um, Mm -hmm. a big part of this production was the, at at every level, you know, the creators getting to 
have a say in what we got to see as the finished product. So the animators, you know, each of them was was putting an individual touch that Wes Anderson, seeing the big picture, was saying, yes, please, whatever's your specialization, pitch in on that. And um, so you'll really be able to appreciate the richness of the film and uh, you go back and see it again and again and, and notice something new each time, perhaps. Mm -hmm. This really cute movie, like I've said beginning and a couple times in between, emotional. But for closing, like the end of the scene, they portray the like the cat. <laughs> so that's the only part I didn't like about. And yeah, it's just the principal movie was like gone for me. But you guys could have different opinion. <laughs> so yes, um, I do recommend it if you guys don't judge too deep. <laughs> but if you guys wanted to see like a deep movie, I don't want to recommend. That would be it. Could be some people will, will could be say yeah, <laughs> not like not deep movie. But I thought it was deep movie. But I didn't like the conclusions. I didn't like. There's a prin the principal movie was like a gone for me in the mm -hmm. end. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I think um, I would definitely recommend it to people, especially fans of Wes Anderson. Um, even though I agree with you at the end, like, <laughs> why are we all doing dogs now and no cats? Can we have, like, yeah, the principal movie is hamsters <laughs> and gerbils <laughs> and, and birds? Right. <laughs> and the owl, there's a symbol in all the, yeah. Yeah, 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 she yeah. Was the, well, not she, the bird was the messenger. Yeah, the owl. <laughs> right. Right, right. Well, I mean, I mean, the bird was an informant because they, they had a common enemy. <laughs> we never got to talk about the hacker. Oh yeah, real spoiler, so hacker was amazing. Holy up, crap! He was one of my favorite characters. Yeah, yeah mine too. Yeah, All these people working in the background. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. That's why, like, like you were saying, we watch it a few more times, and I'm sure we'll catch more stuff. <laughs> yeah, so after I go home, like I said, I'm gonna like, you know, go to no, like you YouTube, that I could like see all these clips and uh -huh. maybe put mm -hmm. things together, then I'll be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess uh, my interpretations, uh, like actually th this isn't my favorite Wes Anderson film, but I thought it was a really cute, quirky, fun uh, ride. I enjoyed it a lot. I love seeing somebody as talented as Wes Anderson working in the world of animation, I think. Mm -hmm. Animation itself needs more people like him, uh, who are genuine auteurs, who, you know what I mean, have a very interesting aesthetic. Every single one of the Wes Anderson shots is just absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was, I really love the, the 2D cutout animation that was mixed in with 3D animation. Mm -hmm. Any kind of stop motion film is amazing. It's not necessarily the most amazing stop motion work I've seen, but in terms of how it was directed, it was directed really unusually well. The writing was unusually sharp. Uh, I, I, it's always a joy for me to see a, a Wes Anderson film, and I think it's doubly a joy for me to see Wes Anderson working with animation, and uh, I hope he continues it as like a little side hobby of that's, his. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, like, he's trying to bring all the animation and try to introduce this animated film to all these American people. So, that right. I'll give all the credit. G giving kind of a post-French New Wave film aesthetic to the world of animation, which doesn't exist except for in very oddball corners, <laughs> um, and I think I think that's I think that's really cool. 
So, um, uh, highly recommend. Not my favorite Wes Anderson film, but you guys should go see it. Um, yeah, thank you for joining us. Does Does anyone have any recommendations, things you've seen recently that you want to recommend for? No. Yes. Yes. Lots and lots of things. Um, <laughs> if you like stop motion animation, there is a animated short called Peter and the Wolf. Um, visually great. Uh, the story is classic, and the soundtrack is pretty good too. Um, then for live action, the most recent one I saw that was worth mentioning um, tells a lesser known history, uh, a historical fiction about what happened in Cambodia while we were mired in Vietnam. It's called First I Killed My Father. Uh, hmm. Angelina Jolie was involved in making that film happen, so hmm. that's also worth your time. Oh, and speaking of film, so I've got a couple recommendations. Uh, from the animation sp film front, thinking of Angelina Jolie being involved in films, there was an animated film that she did. What was the title the of that Breadwinner. one? The Breadwinner. The Breadwinner. I thought was oh, really yeah. excellent. Oh, I uh, if there was justice in the world, it would have won the Oscar, but it didn't. Um, <laughs> for Best Animated Feature. And uh, Breadwinner, and, uh, which was also done by this, the Irish studio that also did The Secret of Cowles. Yes. Their animation is yes. beautiful. This is probably the least beautiful from the animation front, but on the flip side... Uh, the story that it tells is really good mm -hmm. and really and, intense. And it's on Netflix. Yes, so. yeah. Netflix. That's what I was um, about to mention. <laughs> yeah. An another animated film that's sort of uh, Hollywood's interpretation of Japanese culture but older that I'd recommend is Kubo. Uh, it's definitely more It's more kid-oriented. You have like the dumb comedic character but it's still pretty good. Uh, no, it's not from Disney. It actually was... I don't remember the big studio that was behind it but it was released by... An animation studio in Portland, Leica, Leica Animation, and and I, I'd say story isn't as good as this, but the actual animation itself is even more beautiful. Yeah, I think I found that one more fun. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's a better film, but I think I had more fun watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, thank you for joining us. It's been. Yeah, Neil Klingerman. Kate. Kim. And Dave Klingerman. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Film Punch Meetup. And if you want to send us any suggestions, you can send us an email at filmpunch at gmail.com. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.